0: If you reach for your Bibles and stand with me for our scripture reading this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. We're going to be reading Daniel chapter 1, 21 verses of Daniel chapter 1, as Pastor Bruce continues in his series on Daniel and thriving in Babylon. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a pew Bible in front of you. You can find Daniel on page 501. Once again, listen along as I read Daniel the entire first chapter, verses 1 through 21. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then his king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, and some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good looking, gifted in all wisdom possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names, He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants." So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And in the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Father, we come to you this morning and we just thank you for your word and for the message of your word that changes us and helps us to Uh, just listen to your word today and uh, to apply it to our lives And as we get to hear your message and participate in communion, that uh, we would just draw close to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Something amazing happens when we as Christ followers resolve to honor the one who deserves honor. And we're going to see what that is as we continue this morning in our series on Daniel. A series we're simply calling Thriving in Babylon. I love the story of Eric Liddell. Eric was a man who honored God. He was an athlete who used his speed to bring honor to the one from whom that speed came. Liddell's most famous decision came at the Paris Olympics in 1924. Representing the nation of Scotland, he had a solid chance to win the 100-meter race. And yet, he refused to compete in that race. Why? Well, because the event was held on a Sunday, and to Liddell, the idea of participating in sports on the Lord's Day was a violation of his conscience. His decision led to the press and a majority of public opinion to criticize him harshly. Some said that he was unpatriotic, since his decision kept Scotland from a chance at glory. Others attacked him for being legalistic, saying he took the letter of the law to an absurd extreme. Yet no matter what you think of Liddell's decision, he was no legalist. Liddell offered this challenge to all Christians, and I quote, he said, Ask yourself, if I know something to be true, am I prepared to follow it, even though it is contrary to what I want or to what I have previously held to be true? Will I follow it if it means being taught, laughed at, if it means personal financial loss or some kind of hardship? By the way, Liddell didn't write those words in Paris, he actually wrote them 15 years later after the Olympics while serving God as a missionary in China. In fact, during World War II, Liddell chose to stay in China in service to Christ until he was captured by the Japanese and placed in a prison camp where he died of a brain tumor on February 21, 1945. When Eric Liddell refused to run the 100, he did so for one reason. He obeyed what he believed God had asked him to do, no matter what his peers thought of him. Though he removed himself from the 100-meter race, Liddell was given the opportunity to compete in the 400-meter race. Just before that event, one of the men who assisted Eric's trainer slipped him a note that read, in the Bible it says, he that honors me, I will honor, wishing you the best of success always. The note turned out to be rather prophetic, as Liddell won the gold medal for the 400 meter race instead of the 100. In truth, not only did he win the 400, which he was not expected to, but he set the world record for it as well he that honors me I will honor this is the key principle when it comes to thriving in Babylon in fact we can summarize it this way you're welcome to pull out your insert there and take notes and follow along God honors those who honors him God honors those who honor Him. So what happens then when we resolve to honor God in our lives? Well, the world may ridicule us, but God gives us this amazing promise here in 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. Those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. In the life of Eric Liddell, sometimes God honors you by giving you a platform of a gold medal at the Paris Olympics. And sometimes God gives you, honors you by giving you the platform of a brain tumor in a prison camp. In the life of Daniel, God honored him by giving him the platform of influence with three different kings while living in Babylon. This platform of influence did not come without cost, though. It involved trial. It involved temptation and testing. And this platform did not come without a resolution on his part to first honor God, regardless what the cost may be. In other words, the resolution that Daniel made to honor God, it wasn't anything like the resolutions we typically make at New Year's. Studies... Surveys show that 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. Not a bad thing to do, but yet half of those resolutions are all about self-improvement. In other words, the resolutions that most people make at New Year's are all about them. It's all focused on them, either related to personal weight, personal debt, or personal relationships. According to one survey, only half of the people who make resolutions are keeping them one month later. Only 40% are keeping them six months later, and only 19% are sticking to them 24 months later. But Daniel, what we're going to see here, he here is one who kept his resolution to honor God his entire life. And in return, God honored him. What we're going to see is that Daniel made this resolution early on as a teenager when he faced some intense pressure to deny his God and to compromise his beliefs. And in many ways, this is the same resolution every Christ follower needs to make if we, ourselves, are going to thrive in our own, quote, Babylon's. I want to lay this out in three simple points. It's what Daniel faced, and it's what we face. Number one, it begins with your greatest trial. Your greatest trial is to trust God when your world falls apart. If we're honest, we have to admit we all like to be in control of our lives, right? The reason is simple. We think it gives us a sense of stability and security when we're in charge and in control of our lives. For example, how many of you like to hold the remote control when you're watching TV? And if you're not holding it, it's right there beside you. Easily accessible, right? Sure you do. It means you hold the power to change the channels whenever you want. And life is somewhat the same way. As long as we hold the remote control, we think everything is okay. But when God starts flipping through the channels, then life can become very, very challenging. Why? Because all of a sudden, we've lost control on life. We've lost this sense of stability and security. And this is exactly what happened to Daniel and his three friends. The world as they knew it fell apart. So what do you do when your world falls apart? Well, notice, first of all, what happened in their world. First of all, Daniel and his three friends were exiled to Babylon. Daniel 1 begins with Daniel and his friends being taken from their homes in Jerusalem and exiled to Babylon. Notice what it says again in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. In other words, he captured it. He raided it. Now that's how man would report it. It's just the facts here. They're historical facts. It's as if you're reading it from a history book in school. But notice what God said was happening immediately in verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So who's really in control here? King Nebuchadnezzar or God? Well, one thing is for sure, the people of Israel are no longer in control of their land, their city, their lives, and even their future. Their world has fallen apart as Jerusalem is overtaken by the Babylonians. King Jehoiakim has taken captive, and the future leadership of Israel is taken to Babylon. That's Daniel's world as we know it. Second of all, though, notice this, Daniel and his three friends were enlisted in the king's service. We see this in verses 3 and 4. Look at it again. Then the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had this ability to serve in the king's palace and in whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So just step back from this a moment and just imagine with me Daniel's situation. Life is going great until suddenly a foreign enemy conquered his nation and took Daniel from his home and his family and put him in a foreign culture with a different language, different people, different food, and different religion. And then they tell Daniel, oh by the way, you've got to become one of us starting today. Trust me, this was not in Daniel's original game plan for his life. This is not what he mapped out for him. Have you ever said this isn't the way life is supposed to be? Life rarely turns out the way most of us plan it. Daniel's world is turned upside down. He would never, get this, he would never see his family again. He would die in Babylon. He would never set foot in his home country again. Daniel's dreams are shattered by both circumstances and people that is way beyond his control. And yet in the midst of Daniel's greatest trial, there is this divine perspective to it all. And the Lord gave. It's what we focused on last Sunday in the beginning message of the series here. This divine reality is that God orchestrated this trial and this upheaval in his life for God's own purposes. And the question is, will we, like Daniel did, will we trust God when our world falls apart? It's easy to trust God when life is going great. When you're holding the remote control of your life and the batteries are not dead yet. But when our world falls apart and our plans for our own personal happiness seem to crumble with it, will we still trust God then? Daniel did, and we can too. Now there's a little side note here that I want to mention of as well. Because it is also possible that Daniel and his three friends were not just exiled to Babylon, not just enlisted for the king's service, but they were also made eunuchs when they were enlisted in the king's service. This is the death of every man's dream. In ancient cultures, it was incredibly important for a man to have a family, especially sons, as they provided him with the labor to work his land and to tend his flocks. And in addition, sons provided a man with a legacy to bear his name. About, without a son, his name would fade from memory. And yet, when it comes to Daniel and his three friends, there is absolutely no mention of any spouse or any family in the book of Daniel or anywhere else in God's Word. It was very common. Powerful kings in that day and age routinely took the best and the brightest from conquered lands and they brought them home, just as we see what King Nebuchadnezzar did with Daniel and his three friends. And obviously, these are not the kind of men, the the best and the brightest, that a king would want hanging around his family or even his harem. And so to eliminate any potential problems, kings often had such men emasculated and turned into eunuchs. In fact, the man in charge of Daniel's three-year training was himself a eunuch. He's referred to as the master of the eunuchs or the chief eunuch. And so there is speculation that Daniel might have been emasculated himself. Talk about your world falling apart. Daniel was a young man with a bright future, he was the cream of the crop. Then one day his world fell apart. King Nebuchadnezzar besieged his homeland. And as a result, he and his friends are hauled off to a godless land to serve a godless king. This was Daniel's greatest trial. But when his world fell apart, he trusted his God. Why? Knowing that God was in control of it all. He knew something. And what he knew made all the difference in the world. He knew that there is a God in heaven who is control. He knew that there is a God who is in control of the one who thinks he's in control. But that brings us to our greatest temptation. And the greatest temptation that we face, like Daniel did, and all of us face it here this morning, is to deny God when pressured by culture. To deny God when pressured by culture. Again, imagine with me, Daniel and his three friends have been ripped out of their homes and are now being trained to serve a godless king in Babylon. Daniel tells us in verse 7 through 8, or 5 through 7, look at it with me. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now most Bible historians, Bible scholars agree that about 60 young men were actually taken from Jerusalem and exiled to the city of Babylon. Daniel and his three friends were probably between 13 to 17 years of age at the time when they were exiled to Babylon, enlisted in the king's service, exposed to the Babylonian culture, and educated in the king's three-year training program. You could call this Operation Assimilation by King Nebuchadnezzar. It was a very clever strategy on his part for assimilating Daniel and his three friends, along with the others that were taken, into the Babylonian culture and preparing them to serve the king, not as Judeans anymore, not as Israelites anymore, but as Babylonians now. Make no mistake about it. This training program has one purpose. That is to deconstruct their Jewish worldview and to reconstruct a Babylonian worldview. And our culture has the same purpose today. In fact, the cultural pressure that Daniel and his three friends faced in Babylon is the exact same cultural pressure that we face today in our world. We are pressured by culture Notice this in your notes. And therefore, we must be prepared for the culture's pressure to deconstruct your worldview according to God's truth and reconstruct it apart from God's truth. As Christ's followers, we face an unrelenting pressure by culture to basically deny God in our worldview. We all have what is called a worldview, a particular way of looking at life in the world in which we live. You may not necessarily know what your worldview is to the point where you can write it out, but everyone here has a worldview. Your worldview shapes the way you think, therefore the result is it also impacts the way you live, the way you behave. Here's one definition. A worldview is a comprehensive view of life through which we think, understand, and judge, and which determines our approach to life and meaning. As Christ followers, our worldview should at a minimum acknowledge that there is a God in heaven and He is in control. The foundation of our worldview for Christ's followers is built on God's truth as revealed in God's word. But today, we live in a post-Christian society with a very man-centered worldview, which vehemently denies God and despises God's truth. Consequently, there is this cultural pressure that we feel from every direction to force us to conform to the mindset of this age in which we live. We face the cultural pressure to deconstruct our biblical worldview and reconstruct it apart from God, the acknowledgement that there is a God and we are accountable to Him and His truth as He has revealed it to us in His Word. Now, of course, this pressure is nothing new. This pressure from the world has been going on for years and years and years. In fact, Daniel and his three friends faced the same pressure here in Babylon. First of all, Daniel and his friends faced pressure to actually change their identity in place of their Hebrew names, which honored the one true God. They were assigned Babylonian names, and it was not by accident. It was very purposeful on behalf of King Nebuchadnezzar. Names which honored the Babylonian false gods of Bel and Nebo. For example, Daniel's name, which means God is my judge. Did you realize that, Daniel? That your name means God. The one true living God is my judge. And one day, I will stand before him and give an account of my life. That's the meaning of your name. God is my judge. But that name, Daniel, was changed to Belteshazzar, meaning Bell's prince, or may Bell protect me. Bell was the name of one of their false gods. And so you see what has taken place here. The same thing happened to Daniel's three friends. Their names were changed in a blatant attempt to blot out any connection to their homeland, any connection to their God. It was Babylon's way of forcing them to adopt a new identity as Babylonians and also a new God. You used to worship the one true God. You are now going to acknowledge the false gods here in Babylon. You are going to worship these false gods. We're going to change your name to remind you of that. Second, Daniel and his friends faced pressure to change their thinking. Daniel and his friends were instructed in the language and literature of the Babylonians so that its legends and myths would take the place of scriptures as the source of their wisdom and worldview. In addition, they were taught about Babylonian religion and the art of deviation. It would be something like today, studying at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard combined with the Harry Potter School of Sorcery. Third, Daniel and his friends faced pressure to change their allegiance. Listen, they were royally supplied from the king's table with this daily allowance of food and wine so that they would become accustomed to a life of dependence upon their new master. You don't bite the hand that feeds you. That is a foolish thing to do. In fact, your provider is often who you pledge your allegiance to. And in this case, they were provided with food, first sacrificed to the Babylonian gods, in order to change their allegiance from the one true God of Israel to the false gods of Babylon. And so, what we see here is a picture for us of the world's strategy to deconstruct our biblical worldview as Christ followers and reconstruct it without and apart. From God in his truth. The fundamental goal of this three year training program was to obliterate all memory of Israel and Israel's God from the minds of Daniel and his three friends and to instill into them a sense of total dependence upon King Nebuchadnezzar. I ask you, is this not how Satan still operates today? course it is. Listen, he wants us to forget the truth that God is our judge, as well as God is the one who shows us his grace. And so he tries to deceive us into denying God in our worldview, how we see life and therefore how we live in life. This is our greatest temptation when we are pressured by culture to deny God. And if denying God is our greatest temptation, then that leads us to our greatest triumph. Look at this number three. Your greatest triumph is to honor God when living in Babylon. And again, let me remind us, Babylon is a personification of all that is evil and wicked. And so the world, as we live in even today, is referred to as Babylon all through the Bible. Honoring God was Daniel's lifelong resolution. And folks, listen to me. It became his greatest triumph in Babylon. Verse 8 tells us everything we need to know. Look at it. But... Man, that is the greatest word in this chapter almost. It's a contrast from what we just read previous. But, in other words, here's what was happening to 60 of the young men. They're just following right along. They're being pressured by the culture. And they're denying God in the process. But, there's an exception. But, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself the key word is the verb purposed which can also be translated resolved and this word resolved means to set a clear objective to establish an important priority and this is crucial in Daniel's life Although it may not have appeared important at the time, when he's just a teenager, 15 years old let's say, this decision that Daniel made as a 15 year old, let me tell you, it shaped the next 60 years of his life. You make your decisions, and your decisions turn around and make you. We can summarize Daniel's resolution this way, look at it in your notes. It's not. His resolution is not resigned retreat from Babylon or radical revolution against Babylon, but a resolution not to be defiled or contaminated by Babylon. Now let me explain this because this is critical, this is key. There is a subtle nuance here in the manner in which Daniel resolves to honor God in Babylon. And we oftentimes miss it. Up to this point, Daniel and his three friends have shown no outward resistance to their assimilation into the Babylonian culture. For example, they didn't skip their Babylonian literature classes. They went to them. They studied it. They learned it. They didn't refuse to answer to their Babylonian names. Nor did they refuse to work for the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. Perhaps it's because Daniel and his three friends recognized that the hand of God was over their situation and that this was all purposeful. Nebuchadnezzar had his purpose, but God had a greater purpose. As far as possible, these young men, listen to me, they sought to work within the system in which they had been placed. They sought to be good citizens of Babylon as well as of heaven. They didn't kick against the sovereignty of God, but rather they accepted it as their present calling with all of its trials and yes, all of its temptations. And so this reminds us here, this speaks volumes to us even today as we watch the news and we see what's going on in our country. This reminds us that our calling is not to retreat from Babylon and to isolate ourselves and to remove ourselves from all culture in which we live. Listen, we are called to engage culture as Christ followers. Nor is this a calling to revolt against Babylon and to rise up and ride in the streets like what we are seeing in anarchy. Least not Christ followers. But instead... To resolve not to be defiled or contaminated by Babylon as we strive to reach Babylon for the kingdom of God. To impact it and influence it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot do that effectively if we have retreated from Babylon or if we are revolting against Babylon. So how then do we put this resolution into practice as Christ followers? Well, Daniel gives us a twofold strategy here for honoring God from his life. First of all, notice, resolve to resist the cultural pressure to conform to Babylon. Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, one of my all-time favorite verses. Paul is very emphatic when he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't conform to the philosophy, or better yet, the world view of this world, this Babylon in which we live. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I like the way J.B. Phillips paraphrases it. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Listen, the world is going to squeeze you, and it's going to squeeze you hard, but we And we can't avoid that, but we can resist the pressure to conform by renewing our minds with God's truth. At the same time, Daniel and his friends served the Babylonian community, they also resisted the pressure to conform to Babylon and its worldview. In the first place, they resisted the total renaming program. Oh yes, they still answered, to their Babylonian names, but get this, they also maintain their Jewish names and their identities too. Daniel did not, listen, he did not become Belteshazzar, even though he answered to that name. Nor did his three friends become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Instead, they preserved their Hebrew names among themselves as a marker of their true identity, of who they really were as God's chosen people. They lived with dual names as a reminder of their dual identities as God's people. You say, how can we learn from this? How can we maintain our dual identity as citizens of two kingdoms? By the way, do you realize you are a citizen of two kingdoms as a Christ follower? You are a citizen, yes, of Babylon here, but as a Christ follower, you have a greater citizenship and that is in heaven. Surely one way is by taking every opportunity that we can, and that is to celebrate our heavenly citizenship with other believers and to remind one another of our identity in Christ and our home in heaven. That's why we come to church on Sundays. It's to celebrate our true identity in Christ and our citizenship in heaven. Listen, we cannot preserve our heavenly identity on our own. A lot of people try and flame out. Left to ourselves, the pressure of the world will crush us into its mold. But together, we can encourage one another to resist the pressure to conform and remind one another of our true citizenship. In heaven. And that's why when we come to church, like we are here this morning on Sundays, the Lord's Day, that one of our goals is to be reminded each week of the biblical realities that define who we are as Christ's followers. This is done through the preaching of God's Word like now, as well as through the celebration of baptism and communion. As God's Word is preached, let me tell you, a heavenly wisdom is not my wisdom, it is God's wisdom is proclaimed that runs counter to the wisdom of this world that we are bombarded with. In baptism, we are identified with Christ, reminding us where our true citizenship lies. And in the Lord's Supper, we eat the bread and we drink the juice, reminding us of the cost of our citizenship and the feast that awaits us one day in heaven. It's what we look forward to, it's what we're living for. All of this helps us to resist this pressure to conform to Babylon and to remember that our true identity Is not in this world, it is in Christ. And so resolve, make a resolution to resist the cultural pressure to conform to Babylon. Number two, the second strategy is to resolve to stay dependent upon God while living in Babylon. It's interesting that Daniel accepted. A new name, he accepted a new language, he accepted a new service into, to serve the king, but he resisted the king's food and the king's wine. To eat the king's food and to drink his wine was to cross the line. But why? Why? why did Daniel suddenly say no compromise here what's wrong with royal food and wine sounds pretty good to me and it's not listen to me it's not that Daniel was a vegetarian or one who abstained from wine that's not the reason here because later in Daniel's life he would refrain from eating meat and drinking wine for a period of three weeks. That implies he ate meat and he drank wine on a regular basis. So what's going on here? Well, the reason Daniel viewed the king's meat and the wine as defiling is not all completely clear, and Bible scholars are divided on this but they offer some reasons why and i think all of them come together to give us a reason one it may have been for for dietary reasons the food was not kosher that is it was not prepared according to jewish dietary laws it may have been for religious reasons the food and wine had been first offered to the babylonian false gods but i think there's a greater reason and that is daniel wanted to stay dependent upon god and not Nebuchadnezzar. You see, when Daniel resisted the king's food and the king's wine, he instead proposed to eat only food that grows naturally, grains and vegetables, and to drink only naturally occurring water. You see that in verse 12. As one author writes, this, what Daniel proposed, that Daniel died, if you will, this suggests that the goal of this simple lifestyle was to be constantly reminded of their dependence upon their creator, God, for their food, and not King Nebuchadnezzar. It's fascinating that what seems to be the least important issue in our minds was the most important issue to Daniel. But Daniel resolved. He resolved to stay dependent upon his God. He knew for himself, for his own life, that eating the king's food would have shifted his dependence and even his allegiance from the one true God to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so in the end, Daniel could learn the king's language and even serve in his government, but Daniel could not eat at his table. And so Daniel humbly proposed a 10-day diet plan of veggies and water, but he did so without any guarantees of the outcome. God never told him in advance what was going to happen. In other words, Daniel was willing to make this resolution whatever the cost may be, whatever the outcome may be. Now, what we see here is amazing. Because what we see here is Daniel's faithfulness to honor God in Babylon, no matter what the cost. And yet, it's interesting. A lot of times, that's what we focus on. And yet, Daniel himself, as the author of this book, wants us here to focus on something different. He wants us to see, is God's faithfulness to him and his three friends? And so see here, number one, first of all, we see God's faithfulness in Daniel's situation. Don't miss this. Oh, don't miss this, because this is, this is important. Do You realize that the God who gave the king of Jerusalem into the hands of the king of Babylon in verse 2 is the very same God who gave Daniel favor in the eyes of the chief eunuch in verse 9. What's more, is that the outcome of Daniel's diet was clearly not what you would expect. Folks, normally people don't get fat on a simple diet of veggies and water. People eat a diet of veggies and water for one purpose, and that's to lose weight. Well, maybe other purposes, but that's the main one. But this too, this was a mark of God's faithfulness to Daniel and his three friends, honoring their commitment to him. In addition, it was God, and Daniel's very specific about this, it was God who gave all four of them exceptional knowledge and understanding of Babylonian literature and wisdom. And it was God who gave specifically to Daniel... This unique ability to discern visions in dreams in verse 17. And so what we see here is Daniel experienced firsthand God's promise way back in 1 Samuel 2.30 where God said, those who honor me, I will honor. And now Daniel is reaping the benefits of that promise. What starts with Daniel here in chapter 1 you realize it ends with God. What starts with a resolution to honor God ends with a lifetime of blessing. In fact, verse 21 says that Daniel, there, he, he, he basically, his life lasted all through King Cyrus, which was the last king of the Babylonian Empire. And he, three kings he went through. God sustained him all through it. God's faithfulness in Daniel's situation is rather amazing. God protected Daniel when he proposed his new diet. God prospered Daniel during his 10-day diet. And then God promoted Daniel in the eyes of the king. And so don't you think that if God could take care of Daniel in this situation, then God is surely able to take care of us in our situation? In fact, no matter how overwhelming your situation may be right now, God is able to keep you through it. But there's one final note that we must not miss in all of this, and that is we see God's faithfulness in our salvation. In our salvation. Here's the reality for most of us here this morning. In fact, I would say this is the reality for all of us here this morning. When we look at our lives, we find... We are not like Daniel. In fact, we're just the opposite. We, if we're honest with ourselves, we are far more like the nameless multitude who were exiled with Daniel, adopted foreign names, ate the king's food, and became like Babylonians. I would suggest that many of us here, we are already assimilated into the world system in which we live. If truth be told, we often think like the world around us and live like the world around us. And so if the message of Daniel, and if the message of this series is simply, be like Daniel and you'll thrive in Babylon, folks, listen, we may as well quit and go home. Because who here lives like Daniel? Because the reality is, the more that we're going to get to know Daniel, the more we're going to come to realize that we are not Daniels. However, However, listen to me, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not simply that God is faithful to those who are faithful to Him. It is that a Savior has come to redeem faithless people like us. Listen, our salvation rests not on our ability to remain undefiled by the world, but rather on the undefiled sacrifice of Jesus Christ in Christ our place the cross of christ is the means by which god's faithfulness redeems the unfaithful like us listen the cross of christ is the means in which we become citizens of heaven and the resurrection of christ is the guarantee of our entrance into heaven and our inheritance in heaven and so remind yourself often as you live in this babylon remind yourself of this beautiful gospel that we have in christ Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, who is crucified and raised and exalted for you. Put your trust in Him. Look to Jesus to keep you faithful, not to your best efforts to be some Daniel, but to be a Christ follower in His power. Because you will never be a Daniel on your own. We are too unfaithful to accomplish that. We need the power of Jesus Christ, and we need the grace that the gospel gives to us in Christ. And one of the ways that we remind ourselves of this beautiful gospel that God has given to us is right here in the Lord's Supper. Do you realize in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of God's faithfulness in our salvation. And when we eat the bread... That's representative of Jesus' body. When we drink the juice, which is representative of his shed blood, we are reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We are reminded of the cost of our heavenly citizenship. And so as we prepare our hearts to participate in the Lord's Supper, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to let this truth about Jesus Christ shape your worldview while living here in Babylon. I want to read it to you out of Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, where Paul writes, "...let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in humble appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so as we prepare... To participate in communion I invite those of you who are Christ followers those of you who have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord and you've done that by by your profession of faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation and your identity with Christ through baptism and you are bowing the knee and you are confessing with your mouth he is my Lord and I resolve to honor him not perfectly because we'll never do it perfectly, but by the grace that is shown to me in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, man, come out of your seat and partake of the Lord's Supper as a reminder of what you have in Christ while living in this Babylon. For those of you who are not yet Christ followers, you have yet to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to watch. With your head up and your eyes open, watch what we do as a family of God. And I pray that your heart will be drawn to the grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel here as you see it as a picture in in the juice in the bread that we partake of. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come here this morning to hear from Your Word, to learn and to be reminded of who we are in You and the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, challenge us, convict us. If there is sin in our hearts, help us to deal with it knowing that there is forgiveness in You. And so, Lord, as we come, to participate in communion here, let it be another reminder of what you have done for us and that by your grace we can resolve to honor you in Babylon. We pray these things in your name. Amen. The music's going to play and as the music is played, I invite you to, if you need to pray to God, if you need to thank God, For his sacrifice, if you need to confess sin and receive his forgiveness to do so, But once the music begins to play, you're welcome to stand and come to one of these four tables and take the bread and the juice back to your seat and participate in communion.